0: Welcome back to the Cyclantist Podcast, everybody. I'm Kaylee Fretz. It is January 25th. We have a pile of things to talk about today. Some extremely unfortunate, very sad news about Egan Bernal. We're going to be talking about that in a little bit. We've got Cyclocross Worlds coming up in the United States this weekend. A much lesser injury for Chris Froome. Some enemy van Vluten. News, some Canyon SRAM news, and some Vuelta news. We're missing Dane today, unfortunately. He's come down with... What does he come down with?
1: A cold, I believe. Mad oh, cow. That's not,
0: that's not as much fun. He's come down with mad cow disease, unfortunately. Ate some, ate some cow that was mad. And now he's mad. And bovine. So and we cow. have Abby with... <laughs> <laughs> We have Abby with us here today. How are you, Abby? You're gonna, you're yeah, going good. Not only fill your own shoes, you're gonna fill Dane's shoes today. Big Yikes. shoes to fill. Yeah,
1: Yikes. that's. I mean, am I, am I the only one out here who misses the news cycle? I miss that podcast so much.
0: It was a great podcast. Oh, we could, we could try bringing it back. We could try. I actually, now that we are sister publications with Vela News, that's uh, something that I've discussed with uh, the folks over there because I think it's actually a pretty good match for them. Maybe we could synergize and make some podcast with them. Exciting. And I'm not so sure. Exciting times. Shoddy Dave, how are you today?
2: Yeah, good mate. Been out on my bike today, the first time since I COVID, so I've learned that there's a lot of dogs around here. The Basque region has a lot of dogs that like chasing you, which is something to get used to again.
0: That's a good way to get back in shape though, huh?
2: Yes, I'm surprised there's not more sprinters in um, the Basque region on teams. Hey, <laughs> James, how are you? Uh,
3: well, I committed the, the, the crucial sin of not letting my bread dough rise enough before I baked it, so I had a very, very dense slice of bread this morning. Tasted good. Oh. Very chewy. You've
1: been doing this That's for, re- like, a while at this point.
3: I know, but, but sometimes... That like is when what...
1: We would call that a rookie mistake. Well, no, but it, it,
3: I, I knew it was going to come out this way, but I had to bake bread for breakfast. Like, we had to have bread. So I, it was either bake it or not have breakfast or have some other breakfast that my kid didn't want, so.
1: That's fair.
0: That is fair. That is fair. But unfortunate, we feel for you. Well, should we get into today's episode? We, we're we going to kick off with the biggest news of the last week, likely to be, be some of the biggest, most impactful news of the winter, no pun I would think. No pun intended. No, no. I should say, yeah, absolutely not. Like, actually, no pun intended. That was a, that was uncouth. Uh, Egan Bernal in Colombia yesterday, Monday, hit a bus uh, on his time trial bike and appears to be in pretty bad shape. Now, this is it's not quite developing anymore because we've gotten quite a few updates from the hospital, but. You know, this is this is one of those injuries or a series of injuries that we're not going to know the full impact of the full extent of for I think quite some time. Uh, the injury list reads actually quite similar to Chris Froome's injury list uh, from his Dauphiné crash a couple of years ago, the one that sort of changed the trajectory of his career forever. And obviously, we're we're hoping not only that, that Egan Bernal's career trajectory isn't changed but that he he can essentially return to riding at all which at the moment is unclear whether that is a is a feasible thing. Abby, can you can you run us through the the series of injuries that that we've at least that we've confirmed thus far?
1: Yeah, it was kind of a roller coaster the news right after he'd crashed because It seemed at first that it was, he was stable and everything seemed okay. But then as the night wore on, news of worse and worse injuries started to come out. So as of recording, very recently, an hour ago, the Ineos Grenadiers team made a statement that said that he had suffered a fractured vertebrae, fractured right femur, fractured right patella, chest trauma, a punctured lung and several fractured ribs. What seems to be the worst part of this crash is a back injury that he was in surgery for uh last night. And things seem to be going okay, but like you said, we don't know the full extent of of that injury at the moment and what that means for his season.
3: Just to add some further clarification, if I was reading some of this stuff correctly, uh i believe that they said that he had multiple fractures in that femur and i believe i also saw that it was an open fracture of his patella so yeah his,
1: open kneecap yeah
3: um and then the vertebrae uh fracture i think they said it was a burst fracture which i am reading to be like a compression fracture which if that's correct and it sounds like he sort of just like pile-drived into sounds like a, the back or side of a parked bus
2: well, if you look at the photos that are actually up, there's I think there's only like one or two photos up, you can see the back of the bus is pretty caved in. It's hit it <sighs> at some speed. We, we obviously don't know whether the bus pulled out on him or well we, we don't know the exact situations. But yeah, you can see if you look at the photo like right there, it does look like there's uh, quite a fair bit of damage to the, the back of that bus.
1: At the moment, the the news is that his neurological function is still okay. The back injury is definitely... Definitely not good. There was, he's got displaced fracture from his T5 vertebrae to his T6 vertebrae and a traumatic herniated disc. So they've basically put like a splint in place from his T3 to his T8 to cover those vertebrae. That's, yeah, not, not good. Um, And he was already having back issues before this. He had scoliosis That kept him out of the Tour de France in 2020, the year after he'd won. So it's on top of a a lingering back issue as well.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, there's a quote that came out um, last night from a, a local journalist, Eddie Yacom, in Spanish. Obviously, he's Colombian, Colombian journalist, but translated after an explanation of this technical language from a medical specialist in this field. I understand that we no longer talk about cycling, everything that happens in the next few hours will be ensuring Egg Bernal's quality of life after this accident. So uh, granted, this this again, this is one reporter uh talking to doctors who have been have been dealing with Egan Bernal uh, and talking with specialists, but that that is certainly I think that puts a pretty fine point on it that that we're we're not necessarily and we don't know yet, but it seems it seems likely that we're not necessarily talking about, you know, how quickly Egan Bernal can return to professional cycling. But at this point in time, we're talking about how quickly can he get back to a normal life uh, period, which is obviously completely heartbreaking on a personal level, uh, you know, for the sport, for all of his fans everywhere. It's 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 pretty tragic, really. So, yeah, we will keep an eye on this. I don't think we need to spend too much time debating, again, like what this means for the season or anything like that, because I think, frankly, his season is not going to happen. I think that a success here would be to see him back next year. And that's what we will we will hope for and keep in our thoughts for.
2: What we what we should remember is that he does have a contract with Ineos through to twenty twenty six. He only signed it back on the tenth of January. So unlike the Froome situation where he crashed and then he was his contract was up at the end of that season. bernard does, yeah. He Ineos are definitely going to be uh, behind him. I would have thought they're not going to. Um, they're not going not gonna to do a Froome, for want of a better word. He's there. He has yeah signed a contract till 2026. So, yeah, let's hope Ineos give him all the help to get back on his feet, get back on the bike.
0: I'm sure they will. Yeah, I'm sure they will. And, and you know, if it takes a couple of years, then it takes a couple of years. He is still a relatively young man. That's the other difference between this and the Froome incident, right? His Froome was right near the end of his career when that happened, and, and Bernal is, is in the middle or even near the start of it. So, yeah, has 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 time on his side which is a good thing but uh again i, I we don't until we sort of get a, a full all the information about exactly the extent of these injuries which the doctors don't even know yet right like he's just gone through surgery they don't know what the final result of this stuff is going to be until we have that information it's impossible to, to, to speculate about you know what bernal 2023 looks like for example
3: well as far as we can as far as we're aware right now, do my, I'm
0: assuming he is. Well, is he conscious? Do we know? Pretty sure he's conscious. If they, they, they referred to, like Abby said, they referred to, you know, normal neurological activity. So I assume that he must then be conscious or, 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 was at some point it's, I mean, I'm sure he was put under for surgery, right. But maybe not into a, doesn't sound like this is a head injury situation. Sounds like this is a, a, you know, potential Uh, or what they're worried about is potential paralysis situation, right? With, with, with crushed vertebrae and things and, and a spinal cord that is probably near all sorts of damage. Uh, But as far as we can tell, head injury is not the primary concern here.
1: Yeah. They said that he's um, at the moment, they're monitoring that neurological situation and he's going to stay in intensive care for i think the next three days so that they can keep an eye on that
3: but i don't know i mean to to me that sounds inconclusive as to whether or not he's conscious yeah i, I mean we, anyway, have, we have no it's speculation at this point we don't really know but we have no good information on that
0: yeah yeah like abby said i mean the, the information was flat around yesterday um the, the sort of the, the status his status changed a couple times yesterday but with injuries like this, that isn't really all that surprising. I mean, he might have been totally conscious on the roadside, and and people might have seen him responding to people and thought that he was going to be just fine. I mean, you know, there were there were reports of just quote unquote minor injuries <laughs> when when this first happened. Um, clearly, that's not the case. But I think that this is going to continue to continue to change over the next maybe even a couple of weeks, um, and we'll keep you updated. So, like I said, I I think that speculating on the impact of this on cycling is probably not a direction we want to go at the moment. And uh, we'll wait till we have more information. So that's where we are with Egan Bernal. And obviously everyone, everyone here is thinking of him, all of his fans, friends, family, etc., and hoping that he pulls through this. So.
1: Speaking of Chris Froome.
0: Speaking of Chris Froome. Next on my run sheet here, slightly, uh, man, this stuff like this really puts the rest of what we talk about into perspective, doesn't it? Uh, it, it actually, I always find it difficult. when we, Whenever we have incidents like this, I find it difficult to actually go back and talk about cycling. But that's what we're here for. So Chris Froome also has a bit of a knee injury. Uh, Abby, he tried to go running. Is that right?
1: Yeah, it sounds like... um, What
0: was he thinking? (laughs) What was he thinking? Why?
1: It sounds like he was kind of trying to do some alternative uh, off-season training, including running, swimming, and quote-unquote rebuild, and landed himself with a knee injury that is going to push his season debut back until after Perry so mid-March, which is... As we said a minute ago, he, he had another horrific crash at the Criterium de Dauphiné in 2019 that he's been working back from for years. And um, he was nowhere close to the Chris Froome of old in 2021. And now uh, he's starting off 2022 with a, with a knee injury from running. Who's
3: ever heard of doing running for rehab?
2: No, I mean, swimming makes sense. <laughs> and, and we thought your bread mistake was the rookie move of this podcast. That is the <laughs> ultimate rookie move he's made. I, well, I've got a few mates who took up cycling. Uh, probably let's just say <clears throat> 10, when it became that boom in the UK and they, they took it up, they loved it, they did the sport, they did a few of the grand fondos and they achieved what they did. They're all at that age now, around about the 40 years old. They've done the cycling for the past... Six, seven, eight years. Phil have achieved everything and gone off and done running, and this has happened to all of them as well. Froome's at about that age now. Anyway, he he thinks, "Oh, give something else a try."
1: Maybe he's just he spent way too much time with Mike Woods during the season, and he thought, "Oh, (laughs) Mike runs like so much in the off season. Maybe I should be more like Mike." But forgot the fact that Mike is like a very, very good runner.
0: Is is a biological
3: specimen? Yeah. <laughs>
1: Pro-
0: probably probably has really good technique, refined over a really long time. Yes. Yep. Mike Woods has also been doing a bunch of Schemo Yeah. As of late, yeah. which I think is awesome. I mean, yeah, they live
1: uh, hundred meters from the base of a ski mountain. I'd be disappointed yeah. if they didn't do Schemo.
0: Schemo, for anybody who's not has never heard of Schemo, is basically you strap, sk, ski mountaineering. Ski mountaineering. Strap skis to your feet. Your heels come up, kind of like cross-country skiing, but the skis are bigger and have actual edges. And you put skins on the bottom, and you run up a mountain, and then you take the skins off, and then you ski down the mountain
2: it, over and over and over again. It sounds like something the, the Australians would say, oh, he's got a wide skimo on, mate, aren't he? <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs> I apologize for me. A portrayal of Australians there.
3: My, my no is, need to apologize. My wife is doing the Grand Traverse this April.
2: Oh, that's awesome. Really?
3: Yeah. Wow! Lots of training. Super cool. That's gnarly. Lots that's like, of money spent on ski gear. It's
1: really fun. <laughs>
3: <laughs> hmm, I'm, I'm not sure how to take that.
0: <laughs> that's a big. That's a big day out. We're gonna We're going in a tangent here, but that's like 2,000 meters of climbing on skis.
3: Uh, I think it's. I think they said it's uh, 6,800
0: feet. I was looking at this the other day because I was looking at doing. Oh, it. Oh, is that it? I
3: thought she, <laughs> I, oh, I guess she thought it was more like 8,000, but. Um, no, and and it's and it's I think 40 miles point to point mm-hmm. uh yeah. Crested Butte to Aspen. Super cool.
0: It's it's pretty and you have to bring like enough gear to bivvy in the mountains for 24 it's, hours. It's a lot so of gear. Well, yeah, because you you start
3: you start in <laughs> Crested Butte at midnight and you race through the night because the the plan the, the 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 way the race is laid out, you you they want everyone to finish in daylight. So um she and her partner uh, Gloria Liu who some of the some of the people listening may have uh, heard that name she writes a lot for outside and has done a lot for bicycling and other publications anyway uh they're doing this race together and I think their their hope is to do it within something like 13 to 15 hours which is
0: ooh, a long time they do a mountain bike version that I'm more interested in that's <laughs> thinking about doing yeah, that I have this thing <laughs> called think- a lift pass that takes me to the,
3: like where I sit on this magical chair that takes me to the top of a mountain.
0: Yeah, and then two thousand meters is no big deal. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think good. I skied like I think I skied like six thousand meters. Okay,
1: the other day. okay, like, okay. Like anyway,
0: two and a half tangent, hours. Tangent, <laughs> long tangent
1: here. <laughs> okay, speaking of Chris, anyway, w- Grand Tour anyway. winners. I'm I'm doing your job for you, Katie. Are you
0: just taking the hosting duties? Or are you just taking them from me? Are you wrestling them from me right now? <laughs> uh, Someone needs to keep the rest of us on track. <laughs> so. Chris Froome has a knee injury. We talked about that. That's silly. Uh, Anamie van Vleuten targets stage races in 2022, specifically the Tour de France Femme Avec Zwift, and will also race the Giraudon and the Syracuse Challenge. So we have, we have the sort of targets of the world's best yeah. bike racer? Yeah.
1: Well, that's debatable, but maybe... Uh, it's Maybe. really no surprise that on is targeting the tour de France Femme of X-Swift in 2022. She's obviously one of the best climbers in the world. The first year that the women's tour de France is coming back first year we'll have live coverage. So it's a pretty big event. Um, so it's, it's really no surprise she's targeting that it's interesting. She's also eyeing the Giro Donna, which happens just a few weeks before the tour de France femme. Um, I think if anyone was going to try to do the Giro Tour double, if you'll excuse my uh, comparison, it would be Anamique who just does insane miles when it comes to training. So she might be one of the only women out there who can take on that load. Um, and then the Sir Challenge by La Vuelta is not exactly a not even close to a grand tour. Um, I believe it's five days instead of four in 2022, but it's still the fact that she's kind of laid out her plans and it's the tour Giro Vuelta is pretty interesting.
0: I mean, clearly, clearly purposeful, right? Like that press release was, you know, it's designed to mirror the sort of press releases that we've gotten from, you know, high profile GC men's racers for a very long time. How do we define a grand tour? Is it is it based off of length or is it just the race? I
1: feel like, like it's length. Is
0: the is the Tour de, tour de France Femme, Is that a, are we calling that a grand tour? Is that is that the nomenclature that we are sticking with here? I would
1: say no. I would say no because it's only 8 days. It's not even 10. Like the Giro and it's Um, a grand tour, I would, I would assume like it's a grand tour, like a tour that's grand, which is three weeks. Right. So there's no such thing in women's racing.
0: Well, but it does grand just have to relate to how long it is or can it be the profile? Because the, the Tour de France femme is, I mean, it's immediately going to be the highest profile race on the calendar, Mm. right? Like there's, 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 there's no question about that. Does that make it a grand tour by default?
1: I guess we'll find out, right?
0: Does anyone know where the ter- where
2: the term comes from? I would have thought it would meant like grand as in big. And I think it doesn't matter if it's a week, eight days, or ten days. It's like, for instance, there was talk of them reducing the Vuelta to two weeks many years ago. You would have still classed that as a grand tour, even though it would have been a week less than the Giro or the Vuelta. So I would I would have personally said, yeah, the Tour de France-Havoc-Zwift would be classed as a a Grand Tour.
0: I think that works. I just Googled it, and all I got was a stupid Jeremy Clarkson show, which I actually (laughs) love. But
1: it's...
0: (laughs) That's all I I got. I'm looking at Wikipedia,
1: and Wikipedia says, (laughs) in its current form, held over three consecutive weeks... And is and typically includes two rest days, blah, blah blah opening stages, blah blah blah. Yeah, I mean, according to Wikipedia, it's like a three consecutive three weeks of racing, so that wouldn't. I
0: feel like we. I feel like we're a, a higher authority than Wikipedia, we can change to be Wikipedia. We
1: literally can change Wikipedia. <laughs>
0: we literally
1: can. Um, anyone I'm, can. I'm, I'm,
0: I'm. I know Dane wanted to talk about this. So I'm a little sad that he's got mad cow disease today, but I I do think that. I I think I think the Tour de France is is a, is a grand tour men's and women's. I think it has to be. I think I I'm defining grand as like grandeur versus length. That's that's how I'm defining it.
1: I mean, you're the boss. So
0: It's <laughs> <laughs> not how this works, Abby. This is a democracy here on the podcast.
1: Um... <laughs>
0: <laughs> anyway, I took this on another tangent. I have just I saw, the, I saw the words Grand Tour come across in that press release, and I just, it just made me think. It made me wonder
1: mm-hmm.
0: how we're going to refer. Or maybe there's some other term that we should use. You know, Abby, you've made the great point in the past that like, women's racing doesn't always need just mirror men's racing in terms of, of the, the, the terms that we use or the races that are raced or anything like that. So maybe there's some other term that we can use for, for things like the Tour de France femme and the Giro Donna and, and things like that.
1: I'll think about it.
0: Okay, you come up with.
1: That. I'm not good at on the spot thinking, so.
0: <laughs> we'll come up with a term, and then we'll write a story about how that should be the new term, and we'll just it'll be a thing. Yeah, stay tuned to
1: CyclingTips.com. It's a great website.
0: Great website. <laughs> All right, let's move on from uh, pedantic debates <laughs> about about terminology, uh, and briefly chat about. The Vuelta, which is starting in Barcelona in 2023, that news just came across. Barcelona, sorry, I re- went on a six-month uh, exchange program. <laughs> Abby, tell me about it.
1: <laughs> yeah, this is actually pretty cool because it's it's the first time since 1962 that the Vuelta a Espana has started in Barcelona. And the first time since 2012 that the Vuelta a España has entered Barcelona. So it's been a while since the race has gone through the capital of Catalonia. And it's pretty cool that it's coming back. They're going to have the first two stages there. The first one will be a team time trial and the second one is not a team time trial. We obviously don't know what the course is yet, <laughs> um, but yeah.
0: It's pretty hilly around there, isn't it?
1: Yeah. The last time that the opening stage of the Vuelta started in Barcelona, they finished at um, the Montjuic castle, which is on top of Montjuic. It's a pretty epic climb out of Barcelona, like in, in Barcelona. Um, and it ended in a little bit of a uphill sprinty type Thing. It was a long time ago. I wasn't alive, so I honestly couldn't tell you how it ended. <laughs> um, <laughs> nobody on this podcast was alive. But but yeah, it's, it's not flat. So there is a possibility that the second stage could have some nice little climbs in it.
2: The beauty about having it in Barcelona as well is that this city is really pushing to be like a cycling city. It's going to... It's going to rival Amsterdam, uh, Copenhagen and all that lot because, believe it or not, they've got a a scheme at the moment where if you sell your car, they give you three years' worth of public transport for free, like unlimited, and then they have, like, car-free days where the city's just all about bikes, Uh, and they're shutting down huge blocks of areas over the next couple of years that are just open to cyclists and pedestrians. So it's, yeah... They're clearly going all in with the cycling and having the Vuelta there is just going to highlight all this. Hopefully.
3: Well, aside from as, aside from the hundreds of caravan vehicles that have to be associated with the, with the
0: race.
2: Hey, this is the Vuelta. There's not that many. There's a, there's a few, but not, not as many as the the crazy tour.
0: That's true. They don't really do the parade thing at the Vuelta.
2: They,
1: I mean, it totally makes sense that they would want to include Barcelona in the Vuelta because... Girona is an hour away. There's an obscene amount of professional cyclists that live in Girona. Andorra is two hours away, same deal. So they've they've had the Duelta well, Catalonia finish in Barcelona a couple times and usually go through. So it's it's a city that's clearly well positioned to host a massive bike race. And it seems like and I am not going to get into the weeds on this because Catalonian independence is a thing that I don't want to touch on. But it seems like the Welton not going into Barcelona for 60, or not starting in Barcelona for 60 years, has something to do with politics.
2: Oh, it'd be oh, the same boy. situation as what happened with the Basque region, the Tour, or the Welton never visited the Basque region until I think something like, uh, I want to say somewhere around 2014.
1: Yeah, Exactly.
0: I mean, it hasn't even been in Barcelona in 11 years. Yeah, it's been. Let alone starting.
1: Yeah, exactly. The-
0: anyway, yeah, we don't need to get into Catalonian independence. That's <laughs> probably.
1: It's a terrible idea. It's
0: probably. yeah, It's a really awful idea because uh, we have no idea what we're talking about. <laughs> and that, that doesn't usually stop us. But in this case, I feel like it should. It should stop us from talking about it. We can, so. we can leave that for Ian. Surely there's a story in there somewhere for him. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, Ian can chase that one down. This weekend, Cyclocross Worlds is happening in Fayetteville, Arkansas. We're going to be sending at least one reporter down there. Actually, our our social media editor, Mike Better, to do some stuff. We're also running into quite a few COVID issues ahead of this race. Now, uh, anybody who's heard of America is probably familiar with our response to covid well, that's and how even more dangerous great. than
1: catalonian independence <laughs>
0: <laughs> and how great it's been uh and how a large portion of our country doesn't think it exists including andrew tolansky <laughs> i was uh, just going to
3: say something about how, <laughs> how how we should
0: have him on as a podcast guest nope not doing that uh <laughs> anyway there's been there's been some concerns around Europeans coming over here because frankly we've got All the COVID, we have every bit of it, and uh, not doing a ton about keeping it from going places. So, yeah, there's been some concerns, and then also, to get into this country at the moment, this is ironic, we have all the COVID, and yet, to get here, you have to prove that you don't have it. Uh, Which means that a couple riders already, Abby, have, have... Well, they're stuck in Europe. They can't get over here.
1: Yeah. um, Before the Belgian team flew over, Quentin Hermans and the junior Belgian national champion, Zadie van Sine, I'm so sorry, tested positive for COVID, so neither of them could come. Quentin Hermans has had a pretty consistent season. He was just seventh at Heide last weekend. So the last World Cup and uh, that's a pretty big blow, but probably an even bigger blow is the two Dutch women, uh, Denise Betsema and Marie Wurst-Wurst, who, which if you put into Google Translate, translates to sausage. Hilarious. <laughs> Marie Wurst tested positive right before flying, and Denise Betsema had a fever and so opted not to go. So, Already, two of the top women are out, although I don't think the Dutch are really that worried, given that they have Lucinda brand and uh, Mariana Voss lining up anyway. but the Dutch team coach has been super vocal about how he's concerned about the covid situation in Arkansas. I think I saw a stat that said only fifty one percent of the of the state is vaccinated maybe um and once at the venue the uci has said that mask mandates are in place but it does go against uh Um, local america.
0: regulations yeah. um <laughs> <laughs> against america and so we can say these things because we are Americans. yes and so therefore I, i'm even i'm wearing a usa hat that i bought in indiana when i was driving across the country i've claimed pure Canadian
1: citizenship at this point i am not affiliated <laughs> um but but yeah there if you're flying from if you're traveling to to worlds from within the u.s there's no there's no uh testing rules or anything it's it's only everyone coming internationally, so it's kind of an interesting situation. But but it is a bummer that uh, Verst and Betsema are are out already.
2: Can can I just say I I read that headline quickly. I don't know if it's a a touch of me dyslexia, being slow at reading or not taking much notice. But I in, I initially thought that headline was. Best and worst out. And I thought, oh, it's someone fair, fair to Midland's going to win, isn't it? <laughs> I did go back and reread it and um, took me time.
0: Who would be the worst? Like who, who, I mean, who's last in the UCI rankings? Like who, who's, the, who's the last person oh, to make the world championships? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, there's no bubbles. There's no Nothing. Because that's not what we do here apparently uh yeah it's 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 going to be eye opening perhaps for uh, some European folks who have lived in in a different way for quite a long time especially uh, Belgium
1: and the Netherlands are pretty strict
0: they're pretty strict, yeah I would say arkansas not strict not strict at all
1: what no
3: well i i well clearly what's going to happen is as as a certain twitter cycling personality has has uh has quipped not too long ago i mean the people who are coming over here who have been uh used to pretty strict uh i guess uh uh guidelines as far as covid stuff uh i mean they're gonna come over here it'll just be kind of whatever and like they'll, they can just yeah you know, they'll just they can just pretend like it never existed in which case it means that it just doesn't exist right
1: just oh god that's where you're going with this <laughs> you, just stay,
3: you just stay off of social media for a couple weeks okay that like was it, it that
1: was honestly just DeGent's response was the highlight of my weekend
0: <laughs> can we talk <laughs> it was about amazing. this Amazing! can, it can, was we, actually, so can good. we actually talk about this can, can we All hold right, on we need to pull up the tweet thread. we can pull this up because, it?
3: because it's not because this one's not necessarily covid related this is actually very very amusing
1: oh the tweet is gone kaylee he's deleted it oh he
3: did oh so and andrew talansky uh, former U.S. Pro uh, RIP mentions.
1: Twi- I don't know.
3: Twi- <laughs> tweeted on January 18th. Out of curiosity, I went off social media and turned off the news for a few days. It confirmed what I already knew: there is no pandemic without social media and quote smart unquote phones providing 24 seven fear mongering news. The whole charade over the past two years would have been impossible. Okay, like <laughs> we're not going to comment on that but
0: what, what? how do we not comment on that well,
3: just leave that just just leave that alone for just a second just leave it alone for just a second but in response thomas DeHent wrote he is correct i stayed off social media and haven't read any news about pogaccia if he isn't real he cannot hurt me
2: <laughs> then pogaccia come on However,
3: go ahead and finish and this it, one out shotty
2: well, just, hang on. I've not even, t- I've not seen the tweet for a few days, but he tweeted a picture of Mr. Bean giving him a little wave, didn't it?
3: <laughs> <laughs> so good. I'm over So here. good. <laughs> but what's what's amazing is that Pogaccia wasn't even tagged. Like his his Twitter handle wasn't even. Somebody tagged said in this.
1: that, and DeGent responded, "We do follow each other. That helps." <laughs> the whole the whole thing like everything oh, so man. good it was just plus, so funny plus, I've said
0: this before he's like one of those Gen Z kids he's like he's a he's a creature of the internet he, loves he the likes memes. he like yeah he follows a bunch of random weird meme accounts on Instagram and he's he's that's just you know he's a youth we all old oh, the over youths. here <laughs> the so, youths some of the us older than rivers. others as it turns out uh, that was just fantastic um god uh, Talansky that's all we don't you're right we don't need to comment on that because people will hear that and think their own things uh <laughs> we will just let them think those things
2: <laughs> I, I just don't i just do thomas again and punch uh twitter accounts like skyrocket after that i'm, I'm <laughs> sure they did because the the the, the, com- the the interaction there was absolutely gold i've not seen anything like that in the cycling world for a little while they both definitely won the internet that day
1: <laughs> it was a great day
0: I love it I love it Thomas Nguyen is genuinely a hilarious human being he is really really he, he does stuff like that on a somewhat regular basis he wins the internet somewhat regularly anyway let's move on from cross worlds we're, like I said we're going to be we're going to be on the ground there we're going to be covering it a bit uh, we're also going to be of course covering some of the transgender issues that are happening down in Arkansas so keep an eye out for that uh, that was sort of the well it was the requirement for us to actually cover the bike race internally is that we also had to pay attention to some of the stories that we think are also very important. We will discuss worlds at length next week. I believe, are we going to have Yoseon on Abby? Is that the plan?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think that she is probably the most knowledgeable among the cycling tip staff when it comes to cyclocross, as it's been pointed out to us uh, multiple times, we do not do it justice. So despite the fact that I actually do watch the cyclocross, uh, I don't know what's going on, so it doesn't help. But <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, Jose is going to jump on the podcast next week to to do justice to the sport of cyclocross.
0: That'll be great. Can't wait. Let's talk Canyon SRAM. This is great news. This is really cool news. They announced the 8-Rider Generation Development Team. First of its kind. Tell me about it, Abby.
1: Yeah, Canyon SRAM announced that the... Tail end of the 2021 season that they were planning on starting a continental development team kind of in partnership with their World Tour Canyon Sram team, uh, which no other World Tour team has. Obviously, there's men's teams that have a development team attached, but um, but women's teams do not. And so Canyon sram announced this development team with a caveat that they were hoping to hire riders from Nations that cycling has passed by uh, might be a way to put it. So they announced the roster, and it's really cool who the who they've hired for it. There's four different continents, seven different countries on the team. They have riders from Paraguay, Sierra Leone, Rwanda, Malaysia, Jamaica, Namibia, and Germany, and they're all young riders. And I'm not, I don't know the extent of what the teams what the team will be doing over the season. I'm really hoping to chat with somebody within the Canyon Stram uh, management to try to get a grasp on uh, the bigger picture here, but they're trying to pick up riders' young talent from countries that normally would be passed by by women's teams or men's teams even and jettison them into the World Tour ranking. So we will see how it goes this year, but it's an amazing project that I think a lot of teams could take note of seeing as development is a big problem in women's cycling.
0: It's a huge problem in women's cycling. It is
1: a regular topic on the Freewheeling Podcast.
2: What's good about this is it's something that, well, the UCI should be doing or, or have been doing and really should be doing a better job at it because they do have their development program, which is based in um, in Switzerland, in Argyle, Switzerland. They, they do invite young riders over to hopefully development and bring them on. But what SRAM uh, and Canyon are doing, it's really putting it on a stage. They're sending them to the races. Send- it, it it And it's making it, I suppose it's the whole um, publicity side of the thing. They're making it something where the UCI just kind of keep it bubbling underground, don't really make a show and dance about it. So they, to do it this way is really good. They're putting them centre stage. And it's something that the UCI should have been doing. They should have been putting their riders center stage, driving, yeah, just keeping it kind of a low-key thing back in the uh, HQ in Switzerland.
1: Yeah, they do have that WCC team that Tenniel Campbell, the Trinidad and Tobago rider, came through. That's It's a pretty impressive team. I mean, I've raced against them. They're... They're very good, but yeah they do they really don't like make a show of that team,
2: which is a massive shame, hopefully, yeah, canyon tramp from what we've seen before should be able to should be able to do that
1: yeah they're pretty they're pretty good at social media, but it's it's not a fully u twenty three team there's one uh twenty five year old rider on the team, but the rest of them are all uh u twenty three they're all pretty young couple nineteen year olds uh t- couple twenty year olds so it's a really cool project, and arguably their kit is much better looking than the world tour team.
0: <sighs> the important thing. Yeah. We also got EF's kit this morning. What do we think of it?
1: Oh my God. The men's one is fine. I mean, the men's one, I'm like, okay, sure. The women's one, it, there's too much pink in the women's palette. I love pink. Don't get me wrong. I'm not one of those people that are like, pink was an invention of men to bring women down. I'm not one of those. I, I'm all for pink. <laughs> <laughs> but there's just it from a from a commentary perspective i'm so glad that 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 i'm not doing that ever again because i they, who who are they they're never gonna t- it's too much pink there's so much pink
3: i think i'm mostly bothered by the fact that the pink of the helmets doesn't quite match the pink of the jerseys
1: <laughs> that is annoying yeah
0: it's an ongoing problem because you're printing on two very different things and getting that color right that's really really hard what what what, what annoys me you know you're talking about all the pink right the UCI has rejected a number of jerseys because they were too close to the what the European champions jersey or something the like that. The World Tour uh,
1: leaders jersey.
0: A World Tour leaders jersey. Which
1: is gr- purple by the way, not pink, purple.
0: Right. So so if they're rejecting things based on that, can't they then like line all these jerseys up and be like y'all can't have the exact same color? Like you think that would be a key a key thing, right? You know, like in 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 team sports, you have like an away side and a home side and you have to make sure that the jerseys look different so you don't throw the ball to the wrong team i feel like that's <laughs> something that needs to happen in cycling which is yes all the kits look really different so you can actually tell who's who and these are your colors and you get to play with them and and maybe even keep the same colors year on year because that way you could
1: oh you wouldn't know, that be a nice concept
0: identify a team from what like, We'd have to like relearn how to identify riders every single season like we do right now. But
1: James pointed out, I think it was the last episode or the episode before that teams uh, are so the, the the longevity of teams is, is maybe not like, you know, the Colorado Avalanche um, who have been the same blue and maroon and white for
0: yeah. ever Wow, we could we could get into an entire podcast on franchise models versus whatever. And we don't need to. We've actually we've done that before.
1: <laughs> but but it's interesting though, because there there is somebody who does approve the kits. So somebody right. did look at all of these kits and approve That's them what I or mean. not approve them. And to my That's what eyes, I mean. uh, the yeah, I, I don't understand why why they've all passed i don't can
3: can we just can we just say that this is yet another example of how cycling is maybe not the best organized thing in the world
2: it's probably the um the uci version of of what i've done they've they've looked at kits and gone yeah that's kind of all right like i did with the the best and worst headline they've just had a quick scan of everything that's come through and gone yeah that's kind of all right
0: so actually i went and I wouldn't read the UCI rules around this because when, when the little kit kerfuffle happened before with all the women's kits looking exactly the same and some of them getting rejected, I wouldn't looked at the rules. The only rules they have are that you can't confuse people with UCI jerseys. Right? So the only rules are basically that you can't put any rainbow stripes on your jersey. If you're not a world champion, you can't have a Jersey that looks like the world world tour leader you can't you basically uh, the the, the set jerseys that the uci has world championships leaders etc you can't have a jersey looks like that there is no rule that i could find anyway and granted the uci rule book is massive and sometimes like rules about jerseys will be in four different places so maybe i missed it but i don't think i did
3: so in other words kaylee you're saying that if somehow a whole bunch of teams got together for a massive april 1st prank and there happened to be a bike race on April 1st, and they all colluded to all wear the exact same jersey style, every team, every rider, that would not be against UCI rules? Because that would would be amazing. As far
0: as I could tell, as far as I could tell, there there is no rule that requires differentiation between teams in the UCI rulebook. Oh wait. my god, it'd
1: be so Which chaotic. Is just wait probably until probably on Losehead Newsblad when we watch the women's race and, and no one knows any anything that's going <laughs> on. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Which is yeah, I feel as a bit of an oversight and then they should probably be paying closer attention to that. Or at the very least, like you know, like teams are not talking to each other about this, right? It's the UCI's job to be that arbiter and, and to and to allow that communication they need to go hey this maybe not is this maybe isn't against the rules but fyi we've seen all of your kits and they're exactly hey, look, the, same. the why same why don't why don't you guys go back why don't y'all go back and do a bit of a redesign <laughs> some of you or just work it out amongst yourselves you guys can argue about who gets this pink and who gets the other one and you can figure it out uh, that's the, i mean that should be their job right even if you're not going to write a rule Someone should have told these teams that they all look the same. And the only entity that knew they all looked the same was the UCI because they had to get a It always
1: comes back to the UCI. What's hilarious really to me, like just so funny, is the amount of people that complained about the purple in the Peloton last year and how they couldn't tell... Uh, SD works and live and Instagram apart and uh, and that chaos. And those kids were completely different from each other. So <laughs> if they thought they were having a hard time in 2021, man, they are in for a shock.
0: It's going to be bad. Yeah. And it was completely avoidable. And that's the annoying <laughs> thing. <laughs> anyway, anyway, let's let's move on from that it's time for nerd nugget nerd alert nerd alert nerd alert nerd James, alert nerd alert what are we talking about today we're talking about alert, nerd alert methods of closing shoes we're basically I, we're basically talking about shoelaces talking about shoelaces so about, about shoelaces.
3: shoelaces so a couple weeks ago uh Published uh, the review of specialized latest uh, high-end road shoes. They have a, a lace-up version of the S Work Seven now, called, of course, the lace uh, the S Work Seven Lace. Um, and yeah, there were a bunch of comments on on the article and whatever, like their comments on how like the pattern looked like fish and some some other stuff. But the biggest topic in the comments was just going over whether or not laces were a good idea at all, which I think is kind of funny considering this is hardly a new thing. I mean, Jiro came out with that empire, what, in like 2012 or whatever. And people are still very much in one camp or the other. And I kind of wanted to take a little survey amongst the socking Tips podcast crew of what you guys, what you all prefer and why. Laces.
0: I love laces. So do I. Great. I like them too.
2: I prefer boas. I'm with the boa as well. I'm with Abby on this one.
1: I want to like it. the laces because I want to be cool, but the boas are so but e- you're not so I'm not sad. cool. I'm not cool. So <laughs> the boas are so easy to change on the fly when I need to crank down and sprint really fast.
0: I don't. I don't. I don't know. With the laces, I never find that I need. I need to change them on the fly. Like once I, I guess that's the thing with me too. Yeah. Once I sort of get it dialed, like it takes you know a ride or two to kind of figure out how I want to do them, but. Yeah, I've, I've never, I've never really needed to, I never really wanted to adjust on the fly. And I, I have sort of like a high instep. And so it actually allows more kind of flexibility in, in like which bits of the shoe are tight, I find. Whereas Boas in general, one, I, they tend to give me, like I can feel them. Like I can sort of feel them on the outside of the shoe. And the, I feel like the the uppers on shoes with Boas tend to be stiffer. Because you kind of have to like deal with all the cables going back and forth. Versus all my lace shoes that are, they just kind of feel like slippers, and that's why I really like about
2: them. I just can't be asked with a faff of tying the shoelaces, getting it exactly right before rolling out the door. Now, what I will say, though, where bowers are pretty terrible, and I've found that again today, is with saddlebags. I do not know why companies want to put bowers on saddlebags because they just... Well- don't seem to work at all or at least the one i've got does not seem to want to work at all it falls off all the time so leave them on the shoes forget about them on saddlebags
3: i actually have a pair of mountain bike shorts that have a boa a boa waist on them
2: shorts yeah blooming heck
3: and, and, and in that application i actually think it's a pretty good idea they work quite well pearl good job on that one but anyway the whole Lace versus Boa thing. I just find it interesting how people are so entrenched in one camp or the other. There weren't a whole lot of people who were kind of like, eh, like I could go either way. Like I don't really have it. Like, yeah, whatever. It's, it's either like laces are amazing or laces suck.
2: Did anybody come in with Velcro? Not really. My dad.
0: No. <laughs> mm. Everybody's dead, Abby. Everybody's dead. <laughs>
2: <laughs> because I've got, I got to admit, the, the last... The Velcro last Velcro pair I used, which was um, uh, a Physics terror Gravel shoe, they had the, that power power Velcro like uh, it's a good. that goes off up. Abs- really good, really good. Um, questionable how long it would last as a, as a gravel shoe. We're getting dirty and dusty and that lot, but I was amazed at how comfortable it was. I love Velcro;
3: it's great. I just, I just wonder if at some point. Kind of like how we went from, what, I guess, laces to Velcro to ratcheting straps to boa. And we're kind of going back in the other direction a little bit with laces. I just kind of wonder, I mean, are, are boas going to continue to get better? Which they probably will. Like, everyone seems to be coming up with fancier lacing patterns and stuff like that. Um So are boas going to get better? Or are we going to see some sort of swing in the other direction? Because, yeah, Shadi, like you said, um, not only are we seeing laces, but we have uh physique in particular with this with uh, with their um I can't remember what the the power strap that's what they call it uh with their power strap arrangement thing because I, I have a pair of high-end shoes from physique that has that strap arrangement with with two velcro straps and they're awesome. They're light, they're comfortable. They're actually not that far off from laces as far as how they feel on top of my foot. Um but they're they're easier to to get on and off. And I, I wonder if Velcro might make a comeback.
0: I hope it does. I think Velcro is the best. My brother hates the sound of it. Like, <laughs> like if you rip Velcro near him, he'll like try to punch you in the face. Like He really hates it. So I, I never really got to wear Velcro as a child and I feel deprived mm. uh, and I want some Velcro shoes now.
3: I mean, kangaroos were really big uh, for kids when I was a kid and I certainly was not a cool kid. And I certainly never had kangaroos as a kid. Like kangaroos, had, they had like a little pocket in your shoe. You could like stick in like nothing. But they had a little pocket on there, like like they, that was that was the thing, yeah, like a little little pocket that you could stick in your shoe. But they were all Velcro. Never had you, them. You, Maybe they'll come back. Maybe I'll get my second chance.
2: Your brother should use that as an excuse as why he never joined NASA. That's. I think that's why he didn't join NASA. Actually,
0: yeah. Uh,
1: yeah. I'm pretty sure if low rise jeans can make a comeback, Velcro can make a comeback.
0: <laughs> Are low rise jeans making a comeback? Oh, yes. Yeah.
1: Oh, they're oh, back, no. Kaylee. They are fully back. Oh, no. Yeah.
0: Why can't the youths listen to us when we say that we've been through this before? It <laughs> didn't. And it was terrible the first time. Yeah. <laughs> Did we ever get Jinkos back? What? I feel. Remember those? No. The giant, giant baggy jeans, like the jeans that were basically they just like cut out, you know, a, a, a square meter of of. Not more than that. Three square meters of gene and turn them into jeans in a square form. How do you not know what Jinkos are? Abby, how do you know what Jinkos are? I do not. You're my age. No. <laughs> wow.
1: I'm pretty oh. sure I'm two years right. younger than you. So
0: So you are two years younger than me. Uh, our audience out there, you'll know who you'll know who. You'll know what Jinko's no, are. I because uh because, <laughs> ah, because frankly our our audience is cool like me unlike you guys I and i what i want them to do is i want everybody to tweet at abby and james pictures of
3: jinko no, so that no don't do that <laughs>
0: oh my goodness no no
3: there, there there's no need i'm looking them up on 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 twitter or i'm looking them up on google right now and wow they are so it, that's, a lot J- that's a lot of
0: jnco J N C O. J-N-C-O. that's a lot They're of They're fantastic Yep. I can't remember how old I was when they were big. I think I was in like fifth grade or something, but there were definitely kids that wore them.
3: Uh, well, well, Kaylee, I have to, I hate to burst <laughs> your bubble here, but uh, one of the things that popped up in my Google search right now is an article in February, 2018 that says Jinko jeans is closing shop and liquidating all extra wide legged pants.
1: Yeah. But oh, extra no. wide legged pants have made a comeback because I literally just bought a pair. So yeah,
3: these are, these are really, really, really big Like you can fit your entire
0: body through one leg. Everybody, tweet a photo of Jinko's. No, preferably yourself
2: in Jinko's
0: At James and Abby.
2: (laughs) I'm guessing many people didn't take up cycling wearing them. They'd be ruined with your chain, (laughs) wouldn't they? Uh,
0: I never owned a pair, and I never really wanted to own a pair, but uh, they were everywhere. I'm surprised you guys don't know where they are. Mm. All right. Is that it for today? I think that's, think it. that's it for today. I that's hope so. We, we're, we're, we're done. so. We're done. We're done. <laughs> but it, but if, any,
3: if anyone listening has a preference for laces or boa or some other cl- type of closure, let us know. I, I'm just always curious. Maybe I'll just put a poll up on my Twitter feed.
1: Team boa.
0: Tweet some jinkos.
1: Team no dude. Uh, all just,
2: right. <laughs> can I? Can I just circling back to the boa debate? I've always wondered how come City have never got the cue offs for really inventing the boa dial. Because they used to, for years, they had that dial, that um, very similar to what, yes, exactly, the techno dial, years and years. Yeah, they don't get the kudos at all for um, for that invention.
1: I'm laughing because the same thing happens when you try to hang up the phone with (laughs) Shadi. You say goodbye like 12 times and he just keeps, and then he starts asking questions and you're like, I said goodbye.
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> goodbye
1: <laughs> everybody. yeah
2: yeah uh,
0: thanks for listening everybody everyone send good thoughts toward Egan Bernal down in Colombia right now we will keep you updated on anything we hear on that front but yeah we've got our fingers crossed toes crossed everything crossed that he comes out of this okay and with that we'll be back next week with another episode of the segment tips podcast thanks for listening everybody Goodbye. See ya.